Welcome back, guys, to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. This is your co-host, Perry, joined as always by my cousin, Luke, and a special guest today that I'm excited to actually talk to for the first time in person. Derek, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, Perry? Not much, man. It's good to have you on. I know you were on with uh, with Evan and Luke the last time, and I'm excited to have a chance to sit down and chat with you today. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of people think that Evan's the cute one, but... He can't Perry. grow this beard. It's Perry. Evan's facial hair leaves a lot to be desired. It looks like he's got mange. I don't want. I didn't want to say that, <laughs> but not that not, mine's the best either. Uh, Evan's uh, is pretty bad, but Caleb's is worse. He looks like Joe Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! But yeah, we're really stoked to have Derek back on. That's Derek Bosley. Um, if you guys want to go listen to the first episode to hear his full background and kind of, you know how he came up check out episode 20 it's a it's called dick sandwich no ranch uh, there's a there's a reason why it's called that there's a pretty funny story that Derek gives towards the end of the episode but uh why don't you give us a quick synopsis Derek of kind of your background and how you came up I was a third ranger battalion uh medic for a while um got out in 2018 and have uh been making knives met Luke on the uh the social medias and uh, he asked me to be a team member like about six months ago. So I've been on the team about that long. Um, and that's pretty much uh, bringing us up to present right now. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Cause we met via Instagram fucking uh, probably a year and a half ago um, and just chatted here and there. And I actually might've been, might've been longer than that. I don't know. Cause I think I, at one point I was in Afghanistan, but we just kind of figured out, through the grapevine that you and Evan actually did a lot of the same stuff since you've gotten out of the army. And then once we kind of made the, that connection and Evan and you started talking, you guys realized that while you were still on active, you guys were on several of the same operations yeah. or different, you know, platoons or companies, but it's still just small world shit. It's crazy yeah. how all that worked out. It was, uh, it was super weird, especially like the first time I met Evan in person when we were, we were over there after I got the new job. I'm sure I had met him before, just like it didn't register. Um, cause like at that point he wasn't, he didn't have a beard. So like it's, and I didn't have a beard. So like, it's hard to, even though it's my face, like once you throw a little facial hair on there and you're put on civilian clothes, like it's hard to recognize one another. Um, and we just started talking and we're like, yeah, I did that dumb shit. And he was like, I did too. I was like, well, what, what day were you? And he was like, I was, I was with Beko. I was like, I was Beko. And he was like, what? I was like, what side of the Valley were you on? He's like, I was with a, I was with First platoon was like, oh, I was with second platoon. It sucked. He's like, yeah, it did. It's crazy, man. That's crazy. At some point, once uh, in probably 30 years, we'll be able to tell that full story and be pretty – whenever the, the the FOI, the Freedom of Information, comes into play. But right now, I don't think you guys can go into too many details about that operation. But yeah, Just a fucking shitstorm. Oh, shit. But, yeah, man, so where we left it last time, uh, we kind of ran through your background growing up what you did with hunting and how hunting was a part of your life. And then you leaving for the army. Uh, you went a little later in life, uh, went through RASP, which is the Ranger Assessment Selection Program. You were selected there as a medic. And then you had to go to SOCOM, which is the Special Operations. What is that? Special Operations Combat, Combat medic, medic Course. Yeah, there we go. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of where we left it. So I, I figured we can pick it back up and kind of talk about you being a young you know, medic in regiment, what your first deployment was like all those experiences and kind of how the, they kind of shape, you know, who you are today. Yeah, man. Um, 
So I think being older uh, when I came through was like a huge help for me because um, I'd already been through some stuff, like been taking care of myself and I, I knew, you know, what I could handle, what I couldn't handle. Like, I think when we're coming through, when you're coming through as an 18 year old kid, like you have all these questions, doubts, like you've never really been away from your parents or your friends or your, or your home. So like, you don't really know how you're going to handle it. So there's a lot more anxiety for me. Like I'd already, I was 30 by the time I got to fucking Columbus. So like, I, you know, I was on the downhill slope anyway, so (laughs) screw it. Um, yeah, I, I got to I got to Columbus and um in I think March of 2014 and uh I hadn't even in processed Fort Benning yet and one of the the senior medics came down to grab um me and the other dude that I had uh, showed up with while we were in process and he was like, "Hey, we got a we got a range today and we need somebody to cover it." And we're like, "Uh All right." And he's like, "Well, it's going to be one of you two." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So he just like, tell that lady in there, you're not going to be in this class today. And I was like, oh, all right. So I just fucking hop in this dude's truck. We drove to the range. I've never met any of these people. And uh, just sitting there pulling coverage. And then um, he throws this like totally destroyed rescue Randy out of the back of the truck. Like it doesn't have a leg. It's got an impalement, you know, just completely jacked up. Um, For you guys that don't know what a rescue Randy is, it's just a... A, a model that has I mean, some have injuries, some don't. Um, depends on like uh, how fancy you want to get. Um, it's like a heavy ass mannequin yeah, that we they, use to work on casualties, simulate yeah, casualties. They can weigh anywhere from 160 to 200 some pounds. Um, so he chucks it out of the back of the truck, and then he throws me an IFAC, and he's like, "Fix them." I'm like, "What the f- the fuck am I supposed to do with this thing?" <laughs> so I ended up like, I was just lose my mind. I threw a tourniquet on the one amputation that he had. And then he had like an inguinal wound. So I was like trying to pack that. He had all kinds of other wounds. I ended up criking them and shoving the MPA in the crike hole. Cause I didn't have a crike. And you don't carry a crike in an IFAC. It was, it was an eye opening experience for my first 15 minutes as a ranger medic. Um, and I ended up actually becoming the, uh, the platoon medic for that, that company that I was with, that was, that was Bico. And that's where I ended up uh, my ranger career. And I was there for like two and a half, three years before I, I moved to um, become the recce platoon medic. But I mean, it was, that was a blast. Um, my time with uh, an actual line platoon. Did you know, uh, do you know Bill Gallant? Yes. yes He's my, he was my opsar major here. Uh, he just he left a few months ago to go to the eighty second to take up a, a battalion. But yeah, he was my opsar major. He was in I know. Yeah, yeah, he was he was um he was at RSE when uh when I met him. He was awesome. Super cool dude. Yeah, he's awesome. He's uh he's one of the best uh, NCOs I've ever worked with. I, I really enjoy I learned a lot from him. Yeah, he's ex- like he's one of those dudes that's just like extremely well thought. Like he 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 can be a hard charger. But he also, like, I think he's calculated as well. He's not just, like, all go, damn the consequences. Like, he's all go when he needs to be. And then you can can think through a problem and, and be tactful when he needs to be as well. Yeah, 100%. He's one of the more thoughtful uh, sergeants majors I've ever worked with. A lot of the, the infantry sergeants majors are very, uh, ah, we're just going to do this. And it's like fucking, 
head down, brute force and ignorance, but he's definitely got, he, he analyzes problems before he makes decisions or makes recommendations. So I definitely appreciate it. I, I think a lot of that was probably how he grew up and when he went over to, to RC. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. So just kind of talk through, I'm sure as a, how long were you in regiment before you did your first deployment? I ended up kind of getting screwed. Um, so I did two training cycles before I ever, um, my third training cycle is when I did my actual like first combat deployment. Um, I ended up going to, uh, Korea, my first, um, deployment. And then, um, because we were, the war in Afghanistan was supposedly starting to draw down. So they only sent, they only sent three companies to Afghanistan that year instead of the normal four. And, um, so we just drew the short straw and we ended up in uh, Korea and basically just did another training cycle. Um, it was kind of cool because I got way more time with my platoon. I got way more comfortable with weapons um, and uh, got to show like the dudes. I think the biggest thing I get, I get guys asking me a lot on, on the old IGs that want to be a ranger manager. Like, well, how do you, how do you do this? And like, how do you get in with the guys? So they, they accept you and, and how do you do this? I'm like, you just have to, you just to, to suck with them. Like as a, as a ranger medic, a lot of times, you know, when the privates are getting smoked, like they don't, they're not really going to smoke you cause you're doc, but like for the first, I don't know, month or so, like when the privates were getting smoked, like I just, I jumped in there until one of the squad leaders was like, Hey man, you ain't got to do that no more. I'm like, all right, cool. Like I knew at that point I was in, like I had proven myself. Like I'm not, I didn't think I was above them or like they started getting smoke and I just walk off to my cage. Like you just have to show like, Hey, you're just, you're here to learn. You're here to, to take the beating if you have to take the beating. And, and, and once you do that, then they're willing to show you whatever the hell you want to learn. It's, it's basically just showing that you give a shit and you want to cross train and, and getting in there and getting your hands dirty. It's the same thing with, as from the officer side, as we're very similar. Cause like you're, you're, you're kind of removed, right? You're not part of the platoon. It's, it's kind of the same thing with the enablers. And so you have to, especially as a young Lieutenant, you're already in charge of these guys that might have multiple combat deployments and you've got nothing and you're coming in. Like you, that's the number one thing that I try to tell these guys is one, you just got to fucking be there and do what they're doing and just lead them from the fucking front. And I've got three very young uh, lieutenants right now. And that's what I'm just trying to pound into their heads. Like, if your platoon is walking, you're walking. If your platoon is doing shit, you're doing it. And I think it's the same thing with a lot of the enablers. Like the, the best medics I've seen and the best medics that I had when I was a platoon leader were the ones that did every single thing the platoon did. And same with like our Ford observers and any of those those assets we had. Yeah, and that's that's one hundred percent it. Like if you if you're want to be included with the guys, like you have to get in there and suck with the guys. Like it's just the way it is. Like if you're if you're gonna say like oh well you know yeah i'm gonna fucking shoot i'm gonna i'm gonna you know get out there and just like blow shit up but when you're doing a 30k movement now i'll be in the van for that like nah dog that don't work do you think having the the perspective of of an older guy and going in with some experience under your belt not being a young dumb 20 year old kid made you realize that from the beginning that hey i'm gonna have to if I want to be part of this team and be part of this community, I'm gonna have to get in there for them to accept me and do all those things initially. Whereas I could see some, you know, 20 year old kid that was just, you know, dumb starstruck, not really putting that together from day one. 
Oh, for sure. And especially, you know, I think younger, when you're younger, you're definitely, you're a lot cockier. It's like, you know, I made it straight through Sockham, which doesn't happen for a lot of dudes. And it doesn't make me a better medic. It just makes me luckier, you know, and, and maybe younger me would have been like, well, you know, I just did a nine month course. It's most people wash out of, or at least have to recycle one thing. And I didn't recycle shit. So everybody else can suck my dick. I'm not, I'm not doing fucking pushups with those idiots. Like, right. I don't know if I would have said that, but like, that's, that's kind of the attitude you could have. And it would definitely bite you in the ass. Um, so I think, uh, having already worked with, with people and different teams, uh, prior to the army and then getting in and, uh, and working with now even tighter knit groups. And, um, it was, it was definitely an advantage for me being a little older. And like, I also had the, um, the problem, not a problem, but like the, uh, the added pressure of the deployment before that I, uh, ended up getting there was a bad one for my company. They end up losing two dudes from the, the actual platoon proper and, uh, two enablers on a mission in Kandahar. And, um, and so everyone was super tight at that point. Like their medic, uh, his name was Schatz, um, like was really ingrained with the comp- with the with the platoon. So like I took over for him after he got hurt and uh he blew out his back in Ranger School. And so like I had some pretty big shoes to fill. And I think maybe being a younger dude, that might have overwhelmed me. But uh being a little older and being able to like step back and be like, okay, like this kind of stuff will make you a tighter knit group. I just need to like bide my time, just be there. And at one point you'll be accepted. And, you know, like maybe somebody younger would have tried to force that a little, uh, a little quicker. And um, that wouldn't have been the way to do it. Yeah. Having that perspective as an older guy, I think really does come into play. And what you're talking about, just kind of being cocky. I was a young, very, very sure of myself. Uh, Just my entire life. I've kind of been that way. And it takes a couple, take some of that wisdom. You got to step on your dick a couple of times and like really fail um, to really kind of realize that like shit, like I'm, I'm just like everybody else. Like it doesn't matter if something, one thing might come a little easier. Like there's plenty of shit that doesn't. And, uh, and I think it just, a lot of that just comes with, with age and, and that wisdom. And it makes the military a little easier because there's a, there's a lot of those traps when you're young to, that you can fall into, especially when you're put into either a leadership position early on in, in your young career or, you know, in the medical world, you got like a little more autonomy. You, you work for the platoon, but not the same. The relationship's a little bit different. You have a little more rope. And when, when you get that rope, it's definitely easy to hang yourself with it when you're young and dumb. Oh, for sure. And like the, the hard thing about being a medic is like you have so many fucking you've got so many bosses, like you've got your senior medic, you've got your platoon sergeant, you got the squad leaders, you got the battalion senior medic, you know? So you got all these people that you're answering to, and you, know, you might be getting conflicting stuff from each one. So like, you gotta kind of be able to filter what's good, what's bad, um, what you can kind of shrug off, what you actually need to take to heart and like combine it all to, to improve yourself. Yeah. And like, I mean, obviously this is all very focused on the military, but, all these kind of things we're talking about are, are pretty applicable to any civilian job, any sort of team building leadership. It's just having that humility and understanding how to fit in as part of the team. And it really comes down to putting yourself there with 
the folks. And like, if you don't like telling, if you're in the, you know, like Perry, you know, if he's telling an employee that he has to do something that he's not willing to do, like that becomes very apparent very quickly. And that breeds resentment, it breeds all sorts of shit. And so being down there with the guys, with the gals doing the job is as important as anything. Yeah. I mean, and I would, I would argue it's the most important thing, like just showing them that you're willing to do whatever they're willing to do. Like, you know, just like you said, like if, if my boss isn't willing, you know, to go out and lay it on the line, why the hell would I like, if, if you don't believe in this enough to do it yourself, I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. So let's roll back or roll into what that looked like. It took you a couple training cycles, but on that third training cycle, you're doing your train up, you know, you've got the deployment on the horizon. Did that change your mindset at all? Or did this regiment have that culture bred into where every training cycle is just treated like you're going to war? Yes. Um, so every training cycle is basically just like you're going to war. In fact, even when we went to um, Korea, that's when um, Iraq was kind of like a little bit iffy at that point. And I think first bad had actually been blown out to go help um, with CAG for a short stint right before we left um, to head over to Korea. And so we took a full combat loadout because in, in the event that like something had happened, the plan was for us to, to flush from there straight to Iraq um, in some kind of response to, to anything that would happen. So we were, I mean, we knew it was, it was a long shot, but like, it wasn't as if you're like, okay, we're just going to go over there and we're going to fuck off for, for eight weeks. Like that wasn't the mindset. In fact, like we were, we were ended up doing more FMPs, uh, more live fires, um, more range days. than like we did during the actual training cycle, just because we had the ranges there. Like we could just go and do whatever the fuck we wanted. Um, so it was good in, in that aspect. Um, but as, as like, we actually got to, uh, you know, in my second, where we end up going to, uh, to Australia, I left for ranger school at the beginning of that training cycle. And at that point, like we were going to Afghanistan. We're like, okay, we're gone. I was like, all right. And in fact, when I left my uh, platoon sergeant was like, Hey man, I need you to go straight through. Cause if you recycle anything, like you're going to miss this deployment and I, I won't have you. And I was like, all right. And, uh, I got to Florida, passed my patrol, was getting ready to come back to Benning for graduation. And one of the other dudes in my company, um, had just heard back from the, the guys that our deployment had gotten switched. In fact, and they weren't taking all three platoons. They were taking just two platoons from our company to Afghanistan. And we happened to be the one platoon that they decided to send to Australia. And I was like, son of a bitch. Cause at that point I thought our, the group that we had was probably the best it had been. Like the, the squad leaders had been together for a while um, as actual squad leaders, not just team leaders. So I think we were at our, I think that was that, that training cycle was the best platoon that I was with uh, as far as a line company. And um, it, it really felt like a slight that we got kind of screwed on that one. Um, but I got to go to Australia and that was super dope. Um but as the uh, the train up for our actual deployment came, I don't think I, I thought about it more. 
or, or like anything changed because that focus is always there. Like your, your senior medics and, and battalion senior medics and the dudes that have been there a while, like when you go and you do anything medical, like it's, it's hammered into you. Like this is real life. And then these are the dudes that you're going to, you're going to be working on and you need to, to be as focused all the, at all times. Like you don't, you don't get a, a chance to kind of sit back and be like, Oh yeah, you know, this is just a fucking dummy or some, somebody that's got, you know, fake injuries on them and you're just working through them. Like that's not the mindset that you have. And and the dude that's, that's proctoring you doesn't allow that to happen. Like you have to be in it. You have, you have to have uh 100% focus on what you're doing and, and know that there are repercussions to, to not doing your job well. Like, like one of the dudes, um, that it was going through Sockham with me. He was like a couple classes ahead of me that I, I kind of knew him. He ended up uh, kind of quitting on a patient. Like he did something that was like failure criteria and he knew it after he did it. And he just like kind of like, like kind of quit his clinic and they just kicked him the fuck out. They're like, you got to go. And um, it, he was, he was a ranger. So they kicked him the hell out. He left immediately went over to the SF recruiter went to selection and then they sent his ass right back to sock him. He was like, son of a bitch. You had to do it twice. I don't know if you ever made it through the second time. I just know not long after. Cause I was still there. Oh, it was at sock. I missed that. Yeah, so he, he was at, at sock. He was a ranger. He was a ranger. Oh, okay. He went through, went through rasp, ended up at sock before me. Um, he was a fuck. He was a stud. He was a physical stud and, um, got into trauma two, which is where you start doing all your hands on shit failed well got kicked out because of his his lack of mental preparedness and then they went to selection and they sent him right back because his gt score was high enough that they wanted him to be a delta and he was like fuck man and all Damn. the all the fucking cadre knew him so like he i i can't see him getting through so i don't know what happened to him after that i just i just remember seeing him in day one i was like that sucks it's probably an 18 bravo somewhere probably did you go into, and you may have talked about this with, with Evan, I don't remember, but did you go into um, your selection or, or this, you know, this field knowing that you wanted to do the medic route or was it, I mean, how does that, how do you, how does the selection process work for, for medics? Are there guys that, you know, that's, they know that's what they want to do or is it just kind of, you know, luck of the draw or how's that, how's that play out? Uh, so regiment's a little different from um, SF. So like when you go to, uh, SF selection, depending on your GT score, like they'll, they'll assign you, um, your MOS after that for, for Ranger Regiment, you go to basic, then you go to AIT. So you're already MOS qualified. So you have your military occupation before you ever get to selection. So like, I didn't have any other choice than to be a medic once I got to regiment. And then they always say that you can reclass once you go to Ranger school to like, if, like, let's say I was, you know, something out like if I was, once I pass Ranger School, you become an 11 Bravo as well. You get a secondary MOS. You know, some dudes will try to like switch to 11 Bravo, not medics. Like they would never do that just because they've invested so much time and money into our training. But like uh, mortars, like mortar privates, once they go to Ranger School and try to fucking switch over to 11 Bravo, it never happens. My buddy Brandon has killed more people than fucking smallpox 
and he is an 11 Charlie and they will not let him switch. <laughs> He's begged, borrowed and steal. And they always get to say, well, well, you know, you nope. can always apply. I'm like, yeah, but you never, you never, never approve. approve it. So why the hell would I yeah. even put in for it? Yeah. That's kind of the way I figured it was, but I, I wasn't sure how that worked with in the medic world. That's, that's yeah. interesting. And, and like with my background of already having, you know, some medical knowledge, I was like that. I think I just, as I was going through maps, I was like, I think that's where I'm getting, I can do the, the most makes sense help. So I'll just, I'll, I'll go that route. So take us into that first deployment, like what that was like, what was, you know, kind of going through your head. That's got to be fairly overwhelming. I mean, at this point, obviously you're well-trained, you've gone through all these training cycles, you know, the guys, which is huge, but being the, the medic, like that's a lot of fucking pressure, right? You know, like likely it's going to be kinetic, very likely it's going to be kinetic and you're probably going to have to go to work on guys that you've gotten pretty close to. So like, what's like the going through your mind at that time? And that, that was exactly it. Like leading up to that, I was like, man, there was a part of me that I was like, you know, have I actually done enough? Like, cause these dudes are all my friends. Like these are all like, I, I've slept in the dirt with them. I've ate fucking, I've ate with them. I've, I know their family, like, you know, have I actually done enough work to where if something goes South, can I save them? Or is it, am I just going to regret like maybe not doing an extra rep or not, not doing another trauma lane. Like, so that, that kind of fucked with me a little bit. Um, and I think without like fear is fear is a good thing in small doses as long because it, it gives you perspective. Um, I think if you let it take over and paralyze you, then you have a little bit too much, but like having a little bit of a fear is, is healthy. And uh, I mean, the having the realization that you could actually lose a friend out there is is eye opening, but it also can focus you and and help drive you to become you know better at, at your job. And I think that was a big thing. Um, once we actually got over there, um, and we knew uh, we were going to do that, end up doing that stupid shit with uh, what Evan and I did for for weeks. I ran big mass cows with um, explain mass cow real quick to those that uh, a mass cow is, is a, a mass casualty event. And really it could be, it's, it's defined as anything that overwhelms your, your medical equipment and, and capabilities. So, I mean, if you have one tourniquet and two patients with, extremities missing then you now have a mass cow so it really just depends like the term mass cow is is can be extremely fluid um so i would i would move on i would take a squad and uh i'd give them five or six patients from another squad and just we drilled arfr for months leading up to this thing because i knew there was a strong possibility that we could end up taking some casualties and we end up end up doing that. Um, and because of that, I think the outcome for those guys, we didn't lose anybody, but it could have been, it could have been bad. It could have been real fucking bad real quick. Um, and I, I think the, the work that we put in paid dividends on that deployment. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a hundred percent real. And like when you're talking about that fear, I think if you're in any sort of position of 
really any responsibility, but especially that greater responsibility, whether it's leadership, whether it's you're the medical asset, even like the Ford Observer, like when you have these jobs where you're like almost the sole point of failure, if you don't have some of that fear, I think there's something fucking wrong and you probably should find a different line of work because that needs to be nagging. Like if you're not thinking about that shit constantly, if it's not stressing you out, like like you see exactly what you said, it can't be debilitating. It's got to be, there's like a healthy amount and you got to be able to control it. And the way you control it is by feeling it and then taking those extra steps to, to make sure you're, whether it's your knowledge base as a young platoon leader, your level of physical fitness, whether it's your, you know, the training that you're doing and implementing. And that's huge. And I think it's a, it, it applies to everything in life. Um, and just to kind of tie it into hunting and like the repetitions, like it, a lot of guys, and I'm seeing so much of it with these guys that are, they watch Ronella, they see Cam and all this shit. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go to a backcountry hunt. Cool. That's awesome. Um, you're going with some guys. It's like, what what preparation have you guys done outside of buying Sitka, brand new boots and shooting your bows? Have you thought about like the medical piece? Like, How am I, if a guy slips on shale, goes into a bit of a ravine and has a compound fracture in his leg, which is a very you know, likely possibility. Like, do you actually know how to splint that? Do you have anything? Do you have a tourniquet? Do you have a stop the bleed kit? Do you know how to get this guy stabilized? Do you have a way to like contact anybody? And that's something I was talking about. I just, my wife has finally convinced me that I just need to go ahead and get it. I'm going to get an Enreach or a Zolio, one of these, something with a SOS beacon. I'm not really worried about the navigation piece because we have cell phones. I always bring a paper map. I'm pretty good at that. But if you get yourself into that position, being able to call for some help, and a lot of folks go out and put themselves in bad positions without doing that training. And I think without some of the, uh, the experience, you can have a lack of fear just through ignorance. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons fear is actually the most helpful is you can kind of analyze it. Like, all right, well, why am I scared of this? You know, what, what, what's the reason? Am I scared that I don't have enough knowledge on the subject to actually to do my job? Okay. Well now I can, start focusing on that or, or am I just afraid of the unknown? Well, there isn't shit I can do about that. So let's kind of let that slide. Like you can, you can find what is, what is bringing up that emotion and then try to move past it or, or fix the, the problem that you have or the, maybe the, the lack of, of getting that warm and fuzzy where you feel like, all right, I'm, I'm a, I have a grasp of this. Like you can just, go in and start looking at those things and, and make yourself feel a little bit more comfortable. And then it also goes back to like just getting uncomfortable being uncomfortable, you know, something we talked about last episode, like, you know, going out and, and testing your gear and seeing where your flaws are and, and you can tailor it after that. Like, all right, well, you know, I had this and I didn't really use it, but it would have been nicer to have this or like, you know, after, after looking at the train, like, maybe I have like a small ropes kit that I, that I take out there just in case I end up like falling and I, I need to, to help get my buddy out of a, a situation, you know, like not saying that you need that for every backwoods backcountry hunt, you know, but there's, there's definitely things you need to analyze instead of like just going full send all the time. Like, yeah, there's things you can do that on, but you know, especially like, so now uh, I'm going to have to go um, third rifle season because uh, work is kind of pushed back my initial plan to go second rifle season. And, you know, if, if you get a dude out there in the back country that ends up, you know, breaking a leg, has a compound fracture, loses some blood, 
that dude can go south really fucking quick, especially in in that weather. Because you know guys will go hypothermic in the summertime if they lose some blood. Like you can't you can't thermoregulate your body temperature after you start losing a a, a, a unit or two of blood. So. You know, is is he going to be all right? You know, are you going to be able to keep him warm enough to where he can clot, keep his clots, and not bleed the whole time? You know, can you get him out in under six hours, under eight hours, so he doesn't like lose that leg if you do have a tourniquet on? Like, there's a lot of of shit that you have to think about if you're going to be doing something like that. I think that's a good perspective for guys to have, and Luke is something that I know you and I have talked about at some point we're going to do a a gear shakedown episode and talk through some of the different, you know, just simple, simple line items that guys can put in their pack, think through some of those different contingencies that could come up. And, you know, like you were saying, Derek, use a little bit of that fear, you know, thinking through different scenarios and how can I take this and apply it? You don't, it's not saying you necessarily have to go out there and become a, a trained medical expert, but think about your packing list. Think about some of the things that you can take that are relatively simple, relatively lightweight. They're not gonna they're not gonna change the dynamic of your trip, but in a worst case scenario, could make a huge difference. Yeah, and with the like the fear thing and the anxiety or stress or whatever, I think they're all kind of the same thing. They, they feed similarly. What you were saying, Derek, about being able to analyze it and process it—that's so important because you see it any type of stressful situation in the civilian world or in the military, like a lot of people like kind of put the military stress on a pedestal, which is silly because stress is stress and your body responds to it the same way. You know, just combat stress is the same thing that somebody might be feeling in heavy traffic on the interstate. It's your body's physiological response to that, that whatever that stimuli is. And so your ability to sit there, analyze it and realize like, okay, what I like to do is like, I think about there's a list of things that I can control and there's a list of things that I can't control. All I can do is what I can control. So that's, I throw the rest of this shit out. I focus on the things that I can control to fix or mitigate or whatever for the situation. And that helps bring things back down a little bit because you're taking back control of the situation mentally. And it's the same thing in running through those reps. You have to do that ahead of time. And we talked about this in the last podcast. Like you can't just sit there and not run through these mental, uh, scenarios in your head or practice it on your day-to-day life and then just think that you're automatically going to know how to deal with stress like some of the shit we see on social media with like oh the fucking monday morning quarterback well this is how to handle that situation like is it like have you ever been there because if you haven't like you don't fucking know yeah i can guarantee you that 90 percent of those dudes would shit their pants and cry um for sure and and it's it's funny like so when you're over there and like or even you know, here when we're when you're training, a lot of times the only way that you can really induce stress is like either like by yelling at the dude that is is running the medical lane or, or you know helping or like trying to make it as physical as possible, like having him get up, move, um, and it, that's something that you can get used to. Like you know, not everybody's born being able to to think through that. Like you can yell at me all fucking day as I'm working on the casually. I don't give a shit. Like I I know my sequence. I know what I'm doing. You're not gonna rattle me with you know with you just screaming in my ear. Like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep fucking working. And uh, like we had this. Uh, I think it was my first 
my first CTM, which is our, like the big medical training event for, uh, for your, your battalion. Um, and I had on, I didn't have an op score at the time. I just had a regular Mitch and I could not get my fucking stethoscope underneath that thing to like get in my ears. Cause I had on my Peltors and then I had my Mitch on. So I couldn't push the Peltors back to get my stethoscope on to listen to this fucking patient's lungs. So I just took my fucking helmet off, took my Peltors off and put, put the damn thing in my ear. And the senior medic was like, Oh man, you just going to take your helmet off. Is that what you're going to do? I was like, yeah, now I can hear like, I'm not going to let him rattle me just because I had to do something. Um, and you can see the difference between someone that has had, had that stress put on them or like when you're training, like when you're training Afghan medics, like if you yell at those dudes, they just lose it just like that. Like they, they don't know what to do and they freeze. And it's something that you have to, you have to train. You have to get used to being a little bit stressed and being able to manage that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then you have to realize that different guys are going to respond in different ways to those different types of stress, whether it be, you know, just someone yelling at them, you know, there may be guys like you, that's just going to roll right off you and not phase you at all. But if you're, I would imagine if you're an instructor or you're in some sort of training scenario or, you know, working with the, the locals over there. And then you realize that like, man, if we, if we're in their ear constantly while they're trying to work up a problem and we're trying to like train them how to do something, they're not going to learn shit. They're just going to get all flustered. So like, you know, maybe, maybe reevaluate, figure out a different way to put them in, you know, in a stressful situation, but that where they can actually take that and, and focus it and, and still learn how to, you know, solve the problem that they're, they need to. Uh, for sure. And I, I'm, I think that's all part of being a leader. Like I'm, I'm sure Luke can fucking attest to this, but like, you have to figure out just like you said, like what works best for each individual. Like there's some dudes that, you know, if you scream at them, they're going to clam up. They're not going to do anything. And, but like, let's say like you're quiet and you just ask them questions the whole time, like try and second guess them. Like you could, you could up their anxiety that way. And like, you know, there's some dudes that if you ask them questions, they're not going to get flustered at all. But like, then you start screaming at them. They start getting antsy. And like, uh, or, you know, some dudes are studs and you can smoke them all day and it won't fucking matter. But like, uh, there's this fucking, this kid that I went through RAS with, his name was Federlick. He was an idiot. And, uh, he, but he was, he was a stud. He was a fucking stud and, um, you couldn't smoke him. So he ended up going to first bat and ended up meeting his squad leader a couple, a couple years later. Cause like, I just, he was like, yeah, I'm first bat. And I was like, oh, you know this kid? And he's like, yeah, I do. He's my, he was my private. And I was like, how'd that go? And he's like, well, it's like, we tried to smoke him for a long time. Wouldn't work. Like, so in the summertime when he fucked up, I just go tell him to lay on blacktop and I'd leave him out there for like a half hour and I just bake his ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally smoking after that. Yeah. Just fucking literally smoked his ass. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. I don't think I could get away with that. No, but like you, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like that dude could have just like sat there and and made him do push. Well, they would have fucking changed anything, but like he thought outside the box and decided just to cook it from the inside out. Yeah. Learning what, how people tick is is really important and you can kind of turn that into a fucking art. I, uh, when I was a basic training company commander, that's, I got very good at that, making these guys like really finding their little trigger point and then attacking it whenever they were, it was always my problem. Children, obviously, there's like escalation if they were coming to talk to me, but just kind of trying to get through to them. I didn't know that you could quit basic training until I got to basic training, and we had 
two quids quit within like an hour of being there. I was like, wait, you can just, you can just not do this. I didn't think that's how this worked. Well, so in some fucking battalions and companies you can, I had the fucking two years. My first run was there in the year that I was there. We had zero Call failures to train. We had zero failures to train because we wouldn't entertain it. Like they would come up and be like, I'm not going to do this. I'd be like, well, you can tell me that, but it's not a thing. Like you joined the army, you contracted, you're here. Like you can't quit this. You're in the army now. It's too late. And like that's why, that's when I learned like the power of messaging. Like the company next to me would have six or eight people not training over to the side, just refusing to train. And we had zero. And it's because they would come talk to my first sergeant and me and we did not entertain that shit. I'd be like, you can tell me that all day long. That's fine. I'm going to give you an article. I lied to him all the time. I'd be like, I'd give, I'm going to give you an article 15. I'm going to take your pay. I'm going to take your time. And you can sit here for free for the next fucking however long. The fastest way out of here is to graduate. We can make this painful or we can make it easy. The easiest way is just to go fucking train, be a soldier like you committed to do. That's where I would bring the families back in. Like, is even the guys that come from really broken homes, usually there's like one person in their life that's stable and they care about, like their grandpa, grandma, something like that. And that's, we'd always kind of be like, you know, what would this person fucking think? And then a lot of times we'd have them call them while we're sitting there. It was a really effective tactic. We, uh, so after airborne, we were all sitting there waiting to go up to, uh, to regiment to like start uh pre rasp. And, um, they come down the, the cadre come down, pick us up on a bus. They initially parked in this gigantic mud puddle just to fuck with us. So we have to walk through and get our boots all soaked. And like they do the whole thing. They're like, you got a fucking minute to get on this bus. So we like just gang bang the door trying to get in there. And, uh, we get up to the, the Brown fence. We're dumping out all our shit. And they're like, who wants to quit? So this kid raises his hand and they're like, what's your, what's your MOS? And he's like, I'm a, I'm a Seaburny guy. aren't. And they're like, all right. So for a week, this kid tries to quit. We haven't done shit, but every time they ask, like, who wants to quit? And this kid raises his fucking hand. His name is Yarborough. I'll never, I'll never forget him in my entire life. And finally it's Friday. And they're like, all right, who wants to quit? Cause if, if you don't quit today, then you got to do formations all weekend. You can just go to worldwide and do whatever the fuck you want to do until you get orders to go wherever the hell you want to go. And so this kid raises his hand. And uh, he's like, sorry, and I've been trying to quit since I got here. And they're like, fuck. So like, all right, we'll, we'll take you to see First Sergeant Phipps. And at that time, First Sergeant Phipps was the last dude in Ranger Regiment that was in the Battle of Mogadishu. He was a hard motherfucker. We all called him, the dudes that were with him in Biko called him Combat Jesus just because he was like cool under pressure and just had the answer to everything. And so... uh they take this kid down there and he's standing in front of first sergeant and, and first sergeant was like, Hey, why don't you think you're a good fit? Like what's going on? And he's like, well, first sergeant, you know, like, I just don't think this is the place I, I need to be. Like, I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think I fit in here. And he's like, okay, okay. Those are, those are good reasons. And he's like, all right. You know how like in the regular army where you go through basic training, then you go to AIT and you get assumed to, assigned a unit right and he's like roger first sergeant he goes this is your fucking unit get out of my office <laughs> and, so, and i remember at the end of cold range i saw him and i was like you're still here and he's like wouldn't have missed it for the world i was like you lying son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> tried to quit for a week son you tried to quit forever till they just figured out you weren't gonna do it they needed right. your ass 
Well, that's the, the thing that I started to realize is, and this kind of ties back into the whole get comfortable being uncomfortable thing is, and it's not across the board, right? We make broad generalizations all the time when we talk about society and everything. It's not entirely factual, but you do have, especially in these families where, I mean, I would every, the start of every cycle, I would ask the class, I had all males and I'd be like, who here, you know, grew up without a father, 60 to 80% of the class without a fucking male role model in their life. Someone to sit there and tell them like, cause I, rem- I remember my old man, like, you know, if I didn't want to play sports, a sport that was fine. But if I started that season, like there was no quitting. Like I was terrible at baseball and I struck out and it was embarrassing and I was mortified. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. He's like, that's fine, man. You never have to play baseball again, but you're finishing this fucking season because you have a team and they're dependent on you being out there. He's like, you suck at hitting, but you can catch a ball out in the, in the outfield. So you're going to, you're going to finish the season. And these kids have never had that. So that it's hard. And they're like, I, I'm going to quit. Like, this is, this is, I, I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I've never been through this. I'm going to quit. And then they have somebody, you know, a positive male role model in their life, whether it's, you know, first sergeant or one of their drill sergeants or, you know, team squad leader or whatever. It says, no, motherfucker, like, you can get through this. You're going to do it. You committed to this. It's time to fucking man up and, and actualize on what you said you were going to do. They all did it. We had, a, we never had a guy not graduate for quitting or any of that shit. And I would take, guys from other companies that were like rehab transfers because they just were shit bags. We had like an 80% graduation rate on those guys. And it's because my first sergeant and I, and it was a lot of my first sergeant, and he really drove this and kind of taught me the power of it, would just tell them, okay, man, like, and have a man-to-man conversation on what it takes to be a man, and now you have to do this. And it was, it was illuminating for me. It's part of that, like, you know, we'd have, for the first week of, of RASP, we didn't really do a whole lot like we got smoked a little bit but it wasn't it was nothing crazy it was just standing a lot and like doing shakeouts and like admin stuff and we'd had dudes quit and we hadn't done shit just because they were afraid of what was coming up and like why why it's it's almost that fear of the unknown is like crippling to some people and you know you just you know you gotta take it day by day that's that was always my thing like you know me and my buddy would before we, the dude that was in the bunk ahead of me we'd always be like all right we'll quit tomorrow and then we'd go to sleep and that was like that was our thing like we would get through the day and like yeah we, you know we'll quit tomorrow but you're you're through it you know don't let what's coming up affect what's happening right now just work towards your goal just keep taking it day by day because at some point it has to end you know that that course is eight weeks so you can beat the shit out of me for eight weeks, but at the end of that eight weeks, I'm leaving. So it doesn't really matter. I know there, I know there's a finite amount of time that you have to fuck with me and just accept that and move forward. When I was leaving uh, to go to Virginia tech as a, as a freshman, I was doing the whole core cadets thing. My grandpa was a core cadets guy back in during Vietnam. And uh, he, he was in Vietnam. And but I remember, and that was back when like, at these military schools, they would literally just like beat the dog shit out of you and stuff. Obviously, it's a little tamer now. But I remember he grabbed me as back when right, it was hard. Yeah, back in the old core. But he uh he, he grabbed me and was like, "Remember, they can't fucking eat you." And it was just kind of stupid and like. But I, I remember like getting smoked when I was when I was a freshman and like going through shit and like I was just like, "Man, just one more push up, like they can't fucking eat me, or one more flutter kick, like." They can't eat me. Like they're not gonna kill me. Like they just and I don't know. And like every time I do anything hard, like my grandpa's voice just comes in my head. Like they can't eat you. 
and it's it's really, I mean, it's, it's really not that bad. It seems like it is in the moment, or just thinking about the next day. That's when I think folks really fuck themselves is they start thinking about like, oh my god, we're only on day four, and we got twenty days left, or or whatever it is. It's like, no, just focus on that one push up, that one iteration. Live in the moment, and it's gonna be. It's the same thing like walking up the mountain. You're like, oh man, I'm. I'm only half a mile in. I got fucking six more miles or whatever. It's like, no, just focus on fucking, you know, move your knees and your fucking feet and ass will follow. Yeah. Just keep, if you just keep moving, you're, you're going to be fine. Just keep moving forward. That's, that's really like how I get through life every day. Just like, all right, I want to get to this point. Just what are my steps? And don't let anything derail you. Just and something's going to come along that, that fucks it up. You know, it's, it's inevitable. That's how life is but you can't just let it completely stop you. Just, all right, well, I'm here now. How do I get back to where I want to be? Well, the simple fact is we, we now live in a society and in a world where we have it the best that anyone has ever had it ever period hard stop. Like we have it so damn good that we have to make up shit to get upset about. And the reality is it's like you were saying, a lot of guys, They've never really been uncomfortable. They've never been in that position where they've had to actually embrace the suck and think about the fact that they can't kill you. They can't eat you, you know? And I think it's a, it's an awesome metaphor, whether you're tackling a military training or an actual deployment, whether you're going, you know, packing out a, a, uh, an animal on your back miles into a backcountry hunt or, you know, shit, just trying to get through, um, a shitty, shitty work situation. Uh, COVID, you know, was that for a lot of people like COVID turned some shit upside down, but at the end of the day, it's going to end. Like they can't keep the country locked down forever. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be something that persists, you know, beyond a, a finish line that you can actually see. So there's a ton of wisdom in there and just, you know, don't take for granted how good we have it. And, learn that when those things, those little obstacles do get in your way, that's all they are is obstacles. And all that means is you got to figure out a way over, under, or around it. Or fucking through it, you know, just, you can't let your circumstance dictate anything. You've got to, you got to own it, accept whatever's happening and then make a decision and, and do a little bit of the analysis we were talking about. How can I get through this? Like, fuck, like my business is failing or, uh, I'm having a shitty day at work or, you know, I just got fucked down at work, which <laughs> happened to me not too long ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I could sit there and like, let that like debilitate me or I can have a good sense of humor about it and be like, all right, I fucked up. Like it's time to figure it out and just move on. Um, but some folks do, they let like one thing goes wrong and then everything just starts spiraling into this negative feedback loop. And whether that's, you see it, I mean, you see it in the military and training all the time. It's like a patrolling lane, right? And a young leader's out there. Things are going well. Things are going well. Things are going wrong. And then one little thing will go wrong. Like, not even that big of a deal. One thing will go wrong. And then all of a sudden, it just starts unraveling. And that shit snowballs. And, like, the negative shit just gets out of control. And you're just like, man, you could have got past that one thing very easily. You know, one one thing doesn't go according to plan or, or whatever it is. And, and you just got to stop analyze it and then just get through it. It's not that difficult. Yeah. I think just dwelling on the past is like one of the, the biggest downfalls of people and, and myself included. Like I think about shit that I should have done all the fucking time, but 
trying to have a short memory is 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 huge just like all right you know i accept that i fucked up there like that was my fault you know and and whatever it is and and, and trying to pass the buck too like when you fuck something up like accept it don't say well you know i i didn't get this because you know this guy fucked me no like actually if it's actually on you like accept that like own that like yeah i fucked up there but i'm going to move past it and and now i'm going to move forward like don't don't sit there and be like well the world screwed me or, you know, the reason that I don't have this is COVID. Like, that's not, that's not true. There, I can't, well, let me back up. There's probably a lot of people that, that, that do have a lot of hardship from COVID. I'm not saying that, but like there, don't make an excuse when there isn't, is an excuse to be made. Own it if it's your fault and fix the problem and then move forward. I talked about this with Pete. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or just us like staying up all night drinking, but it all blurs together because sometimes we just stay up all night drinking on the podcast. No matter what the situation is, like it could be 90% like external circumstance. But there's 10% that's on you and you have to just focus on that because it's back to you can only focus on what you can control. And so like, let's say it was COVID and your business completely failed and it was COVID, the lockdowns and all this. That is tragic. And I feel for it. Every single person going through that situation. However, all you can do is learn and be like, okay, well, maybe I didn't have the cash reserves that I needed. Or maybe I didn't diversify my income streams enough to be able to survive one of my income channels like shutting down. Like there's there's lessons to be learned from all this. Or like, you know, my well, I don't want to go into much detail about my personal shit right now. But like, there's a lot of stuff that was bullshit, but I still fucked up, and I still have to own that and take it on the chin and say, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter what the situation and circumstance is, whether it's bullshit or not. I still made a decision that. I knew I probably shouldn't have. And so you have to own your piece of the pie. I mean, everybody's heard Jocko and extreme ownership and Jocko is kind of a character, but what he talks about with that is a hundred percent true. And when you do that and you make that mindset shift, it's actually empowering because you realize like, even when I fuck up, I'm going to be able to own the situation and move through it. I was having that conversation with, with our, our new hire not that long ago, shortly after he started. And it's like, man, I can't tell you how many times I've fucked something up. I've made a mistake. And it's in a, in a small business when you have clients that are dependent on you. Um, those are like, those are the things that keep you up at night. But I guarantee you, you're only going to make that mistake worse, you know, once. And, um, you know, help both of you guys sitting here, small business owners, uh, learning those, learning those techniques and having that mindset. I know it's, it's been something that's helped me tremendously in my professional world. And I would imagine it's, it's been the same for you guys. And you look around, I mean, I don't know. It seems to me like there's a whole lot of entrepreneurial, small business type guys that apply some of those things that they learn from their military training and are able to successfully incorporate it into their, you know, post-military life, into their professional endeavors and their small business world. And I think that's something that's pretty cool to see. And that's, uh, I mean, that's part of the reason I have, I have such a problem growing is like, at what point do I trust somebody with my name? Cause like, you know, like when I, I don't really care about volume, but I care about the quality of my product. I want, you know, knives are a handmade custom knife is, is expensive. You know, it's, it's a fairly large investment for some people. And, you know, I never want to send out something where the, you know, the customer thinks, well, I didn't, I didn't get my money's worth. Like this isn't, this isn't what I, this isn't what I 
thought this was and it's not up to the quality that I think it should be. And like that would be detrimental to me. Dude, I, I felt that immediately when I got when I opened up your knife for the first time, just in the in the feel of it. And dude, the attention just the detail you put into the, the sheath, the leather sheath. And then, you know, it's just you you I mean, I've used a lot of different hunting knives, different lot, you know, informants over the years. You can just tell when something is well made. And I get that completely. Like if if you're gonna have someone else putting your product out there, like they're gonna have to take the same ownership that you do. Otherwise, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to settle for a subpar product. No, I'd say it's not worth it at that point. It the, I would much rather, I would much rather someone wait an extra two months for me to get back than for them to get it quicker and realize that they got a shit product. Like that's just the way I feel about it. You know, it's different because obviously I'm not making all this shit by hand. I'm not a craftsman, but like, I feel the same yeah, way. It's used one of the, to. Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, uh, you know, initially make all the patches and sew them, um, which was extremely unsustainable, but uh, it's just, it's one of the reasons why I don't do drop shipping. I don't do any of like, it would be way easier and I could probably scale and grow faster because I would have way less money tied up in inventory. Uh, but I don't want to do that because then I don't see the product and I can't QAQC it. Like I have, you know, a section where I take, you know, if, something's not printed right or I don't have any and people I don't think people understand this I don't have any control over the garments like they're the blanks that get printed on with our logos like I don't make the fucking shirts yeah and I but I try to inspect them and sometimes I miss shit but if something's like like it's misprinted or whatever like we, we toss that shit to the side and give it a, you know give it to the boys for free or whatever we don't I'm not going to sit there and sell something just because it's easy to flip, turn around and make a quick buck or like that's what like our koozies you know i initially made the koozies i thought they looked like shit so i just gave them away in every order you know i, I think it's there's something about when you put your name on it when i put hle or like luke cox is behind this brand like and if i fuck it up i'm gonna take care of it like you know we just had a, a dude wasn't happy with one of the canvas hats which is fine i mean <clears throat> the way the i don't know i guess he thought that it, it should have been sewn and not glued with the adhesive that my hat guy uses and I think he had played with it a little bit and peeled it, which if you grab an adhesive thing and you pull on it, it's probably going to start to give. But you know what? I was like, fuck it, dude. Like, you're not happy with it? 33 bucks back. Take the money. Keep the hat. Like, I'm going to take care of you because I want you to have that, the right experience. I do care about the customer and what we're doing and that our name is on this. And so I think that's really important. And you don't see a lot of that these days with a lot of the brands, even within the hunting industry, I've been kind of appalled by some of the customer service that I've seen when you try to reach out, either don't get anything back, nobody responds, or it takes two, three weeks to respond. I, I think always like that should be the primary focus is making sure that customer feels like they're taken care of. Yeah. Because I mean, at the end of the day, that's the whole reason you even have a business. Like as much, as much as people want to bitch about customer service, like without customer service, without, without a, a good product, you have nothing because they're the ones that are, they're making you, you know, you could have the dopest shirts in the fucking world. Like, but if they're sitting in your, in your basement, not smell selling. Like, what are you going to do? And I, I think too, like, uh, that's something I learned like young, like my, my grandfather was like, all you have is your name. And that, like, that always stuck with me. Like, if you don't, if you don't keep your word, people aren't going to trust you. And this is you like, this is, you get one shot at this. So 
it's back to the Perry and I always say this is back to that the Robert Duvall open range quote about like you don't you don't sell your integrity for a for a hand of cards and cheating at cards and like I feel I feel that I struggle with it constantly right it's always like like there's the, the scenario that I found myself in there was a very easy lie very easy lie that I could have done uh, and I wouldn't have gotten into any trouble at all I would have been simple uh, and then that was my initial thought was that's what I'm gonna do it'll be good and I sat there and I thought about it and I thought about it and I was like I'm about to have a fucking son and if I sit here and do this how can I raise him and look him in the eyes and tell him he has to be a man who has integrity and I just do a simple lie and sell my integrity just to get out of you know a dick slap and like I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to go up there. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to take it on the chin. But I'm not fucking like I, my initial thought was like, ah, I can get out of this pretty easy. I'm going to do it. And then I just, you know, we all have those thoughts. Like anybody that sits there and is like, oh, I'm fucking, you know, like you're full of shit, man. Like it's a constant struggle. And all, all we have is like who we are as men and women and in our name. Awkward silence. You're not jumping in there, Perry. Ain't got nothing. No, Perry has no honor, apparently. <laughs> No, I mean that's it. We we've joked about that shit all the time, and I mean you're right. It's if you if you run a business long enough, I'd imagine if you're in the service long enough, you're in those difficult situations. You're gonna find yourself in a circumstance where you are considering taking the easy way out, and you know you're gonna think about it for a minute. But at the end of the day, and it's it's one of the things that um, I think is one of the reasons why this, this brand that, you know, the, the hunt lift eat kind of brand has become popular is because there's a lot of guys here that whether it be, um, their military endeavors, the professional endeavors, um, the activities they choose for recreation, you know, the hunts go on it, you know, you're not looking for that easy way out. You're trying to kind of, you know, put yourself in a situation where, you're forced to be uncomfortable going back to that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of appeal to that in, in a world that is highly comfortable. Um, I think it's, I think it's a message that resonates with a lot of dudes. I think too, one of the, the things that uh, appeals to people with what Luke has put together is like, you know, if you look at it, Anthony and Luke, I think out of, out of everybody have, the most followers just because Luke's a, a big influencer hashtag influencer life. Um, <laughs> the worst but, influencer on the planet. Yeah. But for the rest of us, like we're all just normal dudes. Hell fucking Perry just got a damn Instagram two weeks ago. I got like, Instagram like five minutes so, ago. Yeah. So like it, it's I don't give a shit about the social medias. We're normal dudes that like literally don't give, don't give a shit about social media. Like we just want to, you know, live our life a free life, try to you know, feed our family, have some fun. Like that's it. Like we're not out here trying to, to put up this false narrative, like of these people that'll like sit in a front row seat on a plane, like in first class, take a picture and then move to their fucking actual coach seat and then post that picture on Instagram. Like that's not, that's not what he's, what he's building. That's not who he is. And that's not what, what the team is like, dude, know. I'm 30 rows back from my flight to Colorado. <laughs> I was, I was sitting right next to the shitter on dude, the I'm, last I'm, flight. I was on, it was yep. awful. Flew to Alaska, <laughs> real big coach guy over here. Oh yeah. Big old, big old fat lady next to me. I'll open my shit. 
Like, yeah, where are those zero dollar seats? That's where I want to be. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and it is real. And when I was first doing the Instagram thing, um, trying to get the cheap shit, you know, discounts, sponsorships, whatever, like I found myself sliding into some of that shit. Like at one point, I remember I was instead of like just hunting, I was making decisions to to make the con. You know, I was I was having the not the hunting drive the content. I was having the content drive my hunting. And that was when I was like, fuck this. I actually took like a four month break from Instagram entirely. So I was like, this is just, this is not who I am. And it's not what I want to do. And that was when I kind of revamped how I wanted to do social media. Uh, the only time we really do photo shoots is for product photos. Cause I just realized you can't not do that. You have to do a deliberate photo shoot to get product photos. You can't just use uh, natural photos. But other than that, like almost all of our content is hundred percent real. Like there's no stage shit. Um, what we're going to start doing now is like, bringing in a photographer so it's not me trying to take a picture on my cell phone um, when we're just doing the, the shit with the boys anyways and some of the pictures will turn out some of them won't but have that real authentic content that's not the shit you see like there's so much shit on Insta or social media where you're just like that is the most fake thing i've ever seen like one of these girls acting like she's you know just gutted a, a deer and she's got her manicured nails holding the meat it's like i've gutted a lot of deer and uh or butchered a lot of deer and I'm, I'm pretty sure my hands were covered in meat and blood. Yeah, so I, I couldn't see my fingernails. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. Like, it's not just the women either. There's a lot of, a lot of dudes out there oh, there's taking. A, there's fake ass people everywhere, man. Well, it's, and that's why pages like the hunting douche do so well. Like we just partnered with them because Evan ended up on. <laughs> yeah, dude, that face. was awesome. That was hilarious, man. <laughs> Picture, I mean, they, couldn't have, they couldn't have picked a better dude for that. He is a oh. gigantic douchebag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, that was hilarious. I lost my shit. Well, at first, like, I'll be honest, man. Like, anytime you get that, like, a part of you, like, you're possessed, you're protective over your shit. I was like, fuck. I was like, we're, we're not, I was like, we're not like this at all. I was like, man, maybe we are. Like, I mean, I'm trying to sell some products. So we do have some photos that are, could probably, you know, looked at as pretty douchey. Um, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, this is, this is funny. And that page, the dude's scared, pretty bro. cool as hell. Yeah. Like, he, he reached out and was like, hey, man, you want to do a partner on a giveaway? I was like, hell yeah, man. That'd be awesome. And so uh, we're probably going to do a couple more. We just did one wrapped it up we're gonna i was like he asked me what i wanted to do i was like well the exact same shirt that fucking evan was wearing when he ended up <laughs> on there the first time so no it's it, it, it's cool like social media is one of these things that it's a double-edged sword just like everything else you can let it go too far you can only focus on the likes and the clicks and all that shit or you can use it as a tool to meet you know like that's how i met you that's how i met carter that's how i met anthony like caleb like all these team members that now like we're starting to build like a real relationship Caroline calls them like my Instagram boyfriends or my, uh, and it, it's fucking awesome. Like it's this massive networking platform that you, we would have never met in the past, but also it's, it can be super destructive and corruptive if you, if you let it kind of go too far. It's all in how it's on how you use it. It's a, it's a tool. Like it, you can let it consume you or you can, you can use it to benefit. Like, I mean, with most of my stuff, like, I would say between 80 to 90% of, of the knives that I sell are because of social media. It's, I mean, I have a website, but it's, I put it together and I know fuck all about making a website. So it's not what I want it to be, but I also don't really know what I want. So I've never changed it. Um, but like, and, and like you said, like you can, you can forge these, this networking 
group where you can help help build each other up and and not because there's no there's no worse group than like a veteran and hunting organizations because you they will give each other so much shit or it's non-stop or never put out this like fake persona where you know you got guys that are way overselling their stuff and and what they've done and just to, to get some street credits it's fucking it's it's insane yeah, I mean, you, you really see it right now. And, like, there's, like, uh, there's been some pretty high-profile uh, pages get just smacked and kind of exposed. Like, that Travis Raids dude, um, I mean, seemed legit as hell. I mean, he had Green Berets full. Like, he partnered with the dude from the Alpha Country, who I've talked to a few times. I mean, that dude's legit. Uh, seventh Group guy. And they, like, made some fucking merch together. And this dude was a fucking National Guard 13 Bravo and had been faking that he'd been in uh, a Green Beret in 19th group. Like, it's crazy how you can build this false fucking persona that, like, you can fool guys in the business. Like, if you know enough about the community, you can fill in some of the cracks. You know how to, you can talk the talk. It's not that hard. And it's it's kind of frightening. Um, it made me kind of think, because, like, I have a flag that those two guys partnered on that I was gonna, I'm going to hang up in the gym. I wasn't going to do it. I was like, oh, I'm going to throw this thing away. Guess, dude. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, that's kind of like a almost like a good reminder of, like, don't be a fucking fake. Like, look at that's, that thing while I'm, while I'm, you know, like, how easy it is to, like I said, start having the content shape the shape the lifestyle, not the lifestyle, shape the content. Look at you turning a negative into a positive. 100%. Hunting the good stuff. Really, it's just you're too fucking cheap to throw out that flag. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. It's stunt cost, right? Like, I'm like, "Ah, I paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) Need something to go in the water anyway. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, well, shit, man. Uh, We're coming up on an hour. Uh, Let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. As always, we didn't get to hardly anything that we initially started talking about. I was just about to say, we did not get that far. But it's good. I mean, we'll continue the the Derek Bosley saga. Is it Bosley or Bosley? Uh, it's Bosley. Um, the way we always, uh, kind of described it was after that hair dude fucked us. Like we're poor. So we're Bosley. And he's got money. So he's Bosley. <laughs> Bosley That's sounds kind of posh. Yeah. Very posh. Yeah. We'll have to definitely bring you on. Cause I, I, I said it last time, but I really do when I get into like a backcountry kind of medical deal where we can pick your brain. Um, I can kind of talk to you like what I carry now and what I need to add. Cause I really want to start expanding my, my kid a little bit. I basically just focus on stop the bleed, but I think you're going to have some really good insight on what people should have in their med kits. Cause I think a lot of people can overpack where they're taking way too much shit. Like they're never going to know how, one, they don't know how to use or the likelihood of them needing to use are pretty low, or you're going out there with, you know, a piece of five fifty cord and some duct tape and you're like, Oh, here's my tourniquet and my bandaid. So there's a balance there we need to find. The big thing is, is knowing how to use it because you know, I, w- I was, after I got out of the army, I was waiting for like almost seven months for my clearance to go through. So I get my new job and I didn't have, I had, I had enough, I had no income. So like the, the little bit of knives that I was selling and the money that I had saved was like, what was getting me through. So I was like, oh man, you know, I'll, I'll teach some like medical classes. And I hit up this dude, his name's uh Tony Cowden's. I don't know if you guys follow him, but he's, he's uh, an eight, he's a SF cat. Um, super knowledgeable about, you know, um, shooting tactics. Um, he does a couple courses. Um, so I hit him up cause I, I, you know, I, I talked to him a little bit before. Um, I was like, Hey man, you know, like I just got out of the army, 
uh, if you ever wanted to um, do some medical classes with the stuff that you um, have going on up there, like, let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to like help you out, come up, teach. And he was like, he's like, you know, I've tried it before. And the problem is like, just people don't want to pay for it. Like they're dudes will shell out thousands to go to some shooting course and, and learn how to shoot around a car and, you know, do tack reloads and shit like that. But like when it comes down to like something that could actually benefit them in multiple aspects of their life, they go put on a tourniquet, get fucked. I'm not paying for that. It's not, like, it's not sexy. It's not, that's a, not sexy at all. No, but Dude. you're so um, much more likely to need the medical skills than you are the shooting skills. Like there's been three or four times in my life where my, I don't have that much medical knowledge. I have, you know, the basic shit when that has come in handy, I've never had to shoot anybody. You know, like it's just, it's, it's that simple. Like I've put my hand on my pistol one time in my fucking civilian life and I didn't even pull it or I thought I might have to, but I've had to use four times. And there's even like, and the more you put yourself in these scenarios where you're in the back country or where you're doing kind of high risk things, the higher the likelihood you're going to need to have that knowledge. And plus it goes back to that training the mindset to where, once you have this knowledge, it makes it so much easier to kind of move through your fears or your, your stress or anxiety or whatever, because you, you know that you've trained and prepared. But yeah, that'll be a whole other podcast probably. Um, so we'll do, we'll try to do that one next. We still got to, you know, talk more about the rest of your time in regiment and some of that shit. Um, but I think this was a good one, man. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find uh, you on Instagram, your website, all that. Sweet. Uh, yeah. So it's a uh, stand to blade company um, on Instagram. It's T O not like uh, the number or, you know, just like uh, the time when the French and Indian are most likely to attack stand to right, right at dusk and right at dawn. Um, if you want to follow me on my personal, it's Derek Bosley. That ain't that fucking good. I don't really post on there <laughs> a whole lot. Like I think I posted a picture maybe six months ago, um, but that's where you can find me. Yeah. Definitely go check out his knives. Um, you know, like, like you said, they are an investment, but they're an investment like this. Like when Perry can talk to, to it, I have one of it. Like that's a knife that you'll have for the rest of your life. And you're going to pass under kids. Like they are so well made. They're some of the best quality knives I've ever held. Yeah. I can attest to that for sure. It's, I was stoked to get this thing. It's something that I'll use for the rest of my life. When I'm too damn old and decrepit to, to get it bloody anymore, I'll pass it on to my son and he'll pass it on to his. Like it's a, it's a well-made piece of equipment i can't wait to actually get it out there and get it dirty this year start ripping up open some deer stomachs with it i can't wait let them know your uh infant instagram there perry yeah five minutes ago i made it it's uh perry.r.eisner on the gram um I'll... hashtag road to ten thousand. yeah <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> fuck, hashtag fuck perry hashtag fuck perry, fuck perry right mm-hmm. yep yeah, eventually I will do those shirts. Everybody keeps, uh, I've gotten a few more messages on them. I think we'll just do like a pre-order thing. Cause I don't want to get stuck with a fucking bunch of shirts down to my basement that say fuck Perry on them. But you can, I'm pretty, you can donate them to your local church if they don't sell. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my wife is going to be the first one to order one. So you'll, you'll sell at least one. She's going to get one for free. She's earned it. <laughs> that she has. Oh, damn. All right. Well, you guys, if you want to follow my personal page, hit me up at loop.d.cox. Follow the brand page at Huntlifted Official. Uh, head over to the website, huntlifted.com. We have all the new line. We're starting to run out of stock on a few of the sizes. So if you guys like that, go hit it up. If you guys have already bought from us, thank you so much. Uh, it's been absolutely awesome. 
Um, if you guys didn't listen, go check out last week's episode where we kind of break down, uh, Pete and I break down the programs uh, that were just released. We've got Tier and Magni up, and I'm doing Magni right now, and it's one of the best programs I've done. It is kicking my ass, and I love the balance between like the functional side also with being able to move some heavy weight uh, with the barbell work. So definitely check those out. And if you, as you guys are trying to prep for the mountain, hit up our free uh, Couch the Mountain program called iDune. And that'll feed you into our tier program, which is our uh, mountain prep program. If you guys have any questions about any of that, hit me up on Instagram, through the website, whatever, and we can, we can explain it more. But as always, I appreciate the hell out of every single one of you. Thank you so much.